Good morning. How's everybody? Awesome. Man, it's always good to come back to Infuse. We consider this, my wife Janice and I consider this one of our homes away from home, and it's always good to be with you. I love Pastor Taylor and Stephanie, and I love what you guys are doing here. I think the idea of the movie night's a great idea, and it was fun to watch the fencing. I had never seen fencing before. It looked like a lot of fun. It looked like something that would be, you know, a good exercise, something fun to learn how to do. I might even consider that if there was some place where I could learn that in Fort Dodge, but we don't have fencing in Fort Dodge. Uh, anyway, let me begin over. Let me start over by bringing you a liturgical greeting. What's up? How's everybody doing this morning? You glad to be in church? Yeah, I'm glad to be here with you. So, uh, you know, we're talking about these summer stories, and I should tell you a little bit about myself before I get started, just in case any of you don't know us. We've been here a few times now and have had the, the privilege of speaking for you and um, sharing with you some stuff from the scriptures and some things from our faith walk. And my wife Janice and I, we celebrated 45 years of marriage this year, which was kind of a milestone for us. Um, and you know what? After three years of, of marriage, we were, were products of the 70s, uh, married in 1976. By 1979, we were almost divorced. We were both, as I said, product of the 70s. So I was playing in rock bands, um, the drug and alcohol culture, all that kind of thing. And in 1979, we made a decision to turn our lives over to God and to Jesus Christ and to learn what it means to follow Him. And uh, the only way I can say this is that God began us on a journey that healed our marriage and allowed us to be involved now in ministry for, how long have we been in ministry? Probably 37 or 8 years, something like that. Been pastoring in Fort Dodge. We moved there in 1985, uh, so we've been there now for, wow, help me out. Uh, how long is that? 1985. Thank you. 36 years uh, from the mathematician. Thank you very much. My, sometimes you, when you start thinking about something, your brain just won't click over to numbers. It just works that way. But anyway, we've been there for 36 years now. Four years ago, I turned the church. I was a senior pastor of the church all those years, turned it over to my son, who is now the lead pastor, and I'm his associate. So that's uh, a little bit about us. Being the associate pastor now allows me to get out and do this a little bit more often. So. Um, yeah, so let me ask you a question. Any of you, when you were younger, my summer story is going to be about bicycling. Anybody of you, when you were younger, your children started riding bikes and rode bikes around the neighborhood? Anybody? Did you do that? How many of you still ride bikes? We've got, so we've got some bikers out here. So my, my biking stories uh, kind of go back a, a long ways, but I got to tell you this first of all. Hopefully we have this picture, but in 1967, I bought this bicycle. I saw, this, I saw this bicycle in the, in the window of the Western Auto Store in Clear Lake, Iowa, and I saw that thing, and to an 11-year-old, that was just like the coolest bicycle on the planet. And so you see the cost, right, 57.88. What you don't see down here is that the steering wheel is 9.98 on top of that. So I worked the whole, the whole summer. This came out like at Christmas, I think, in 66 or 67. I'm a little foggy on the years. I went through the 70s. But anyway, um, some, sometime in that time frame, and that, I started saving my money, and by that summer, I had the money to buy that bicycle, and I, I had the only one in town. It was a very unique bicycle. And if Ralph Nader would have gotten a hold of this thing, uh, remember, remember now, Ralph Nader? He put the kibosh on the Corvair and all that, unsafe at any speed. 
that is this bicycle, unsafe at any speed. Um, so I had several accidents with this bicycle, but I, I want to I go back a little bit. You know, eventually I, I moved on and actually in 1972 bought a Motovacan Mirage. That's a 10-speed French touring bike. Used to ride around the lake. Grew up in Clear Lake. Used to ride around the lake a lot. Spent a lot of time riding bicycles. But before all of that, probably when I was, I'm going to guess, around 9 to 10 years old, had the Schwinn Stingray. You know what I'm talking about, right? The big butterfly handlebars, the banana seat, kind of like that, but the butterfly handlebars. And, and um, I used to, I, I, I just like to try stuff with my bicycle. And uh, one time, I, one, one of my, my episodes, I, our neighbors had a, a long kind of a slopey yard, and they had a concrete stairway going up to their house, and it was probably, I'm going to guess, 12 or 15 steps. And you know what went through my mind one day? I'm going to ride my bike down those steps. That is going to be so fun. So I take my stingray to the, top of the, to the top of the steps, and I start riding down. I get down about halfway, and the handlebars, these butterfly handlebars, must have been just a little bit loose because they went forward like this. What I didn't know is the gooseneck, the thing that holds the handlebars to the bike, was cracked. And when it hit one point, that thing snapped, and these two jagged edges caught me right here and tore into my chest really deep. And I, st I mean, I just started immediately just gushing blood. Sorry, if you have a weak stomach, do this. Um, but I just immediately started gushing blood, and I took my shirt off, and I wrapped my shirt on there, and I pulled it off. And it was just, <laughs> anyway, it was nasty. And uh, I only lived about a block and a half away, and my sister lived nearby, so I went to my sister's house. They took me to the doctor, and they put stitches in, and the doctor said that it actually got near enough to the ribs that it could have actually punctured your heart, so you should not do that again. And uh, I thought, okay, I'll make a mental note of that. I don't want to ride my bicycle down the stairs anymore. I probably could have done it with this bike, but by then I'd already learned that that's a bad idea. So I didn't do it with this bike. Pardon? It was a lot of fun until the, until the gooseneck broke, and then the fun just went right out the window. But up until then, I was having a blast. I thought, this is really cool. Um, so it was just, you know, a combination of things. Loose handlebars, broken gooseneck, and there you go. Um, and then I had this other, this other time, a group of us in, in the neighborhood thought it would be fun if we took a rope, and we had this, some, somebody had this big plastic truck. And we thought it would be cool to put a rope on that truck and then tie it to the back of a bicycle. And this is about a 12-foot long, probably, rope, maybe a little longer. Tied it to the back of a bicycle. It happened to be my bicycle. And then everybody would take turns riding it down the street. And the rest of us would stand along the side of the road with, with various types of balls, footballs, baseballs, whatever we could get a hold of, and try to hit the truck when it comes by. And so that was kind of the game, right? So we took our turns riding the bicycle. So it's my turn to ride the bicycle. And everything is going just fine. And we're having a lot of fun doing this. My turn to ride the bicycle. So I'm riding the bicycle. Somebody throws a ball. It hits the truck. The truck goes over to the curb where there happens to be a parked car. And the, the truck gets caught behind the wheel of the parked car. And when the bicycle comes to the end of the rope, it did this. And I did this right off the top of it, came right over the handlebars, hit the ground, rolled, had my, I was just tore up everywhere. Um, I was responsible for my mother getting a lot of gray hairs. Every time I get on my bicycle, she was worrying about what's going to happen next. I could tell you summer stories about me on my bicycle getting tore up every summer of my life, I think, from the time I got a bicycle until I was probably in my teens and smart enough to know how to ride one. 
The lesson, I think, on this is that if you don't follow basic principles of bicycle riding, you can get hurt. Right? And so one of the principles, just keep this in mind. In fact, I bet this young man right here would love to have that bicycle, wouldn't you? It'd be cool. Every young kid wants one of these things. But the thing to keep in mind is that there are certain principles, there are laws for riding bicycles. One of them is don't ride them down steps. The other one is don't pull things behind it that can get caught behind things and stop you. Um, you know, so there's certain principles that go along with, with that, and there's basic principles for life as well. So let's think about this, some of the basic principles for life. And, and the scriptures kind of give us this. One of the things that we have as a basic principle is that we ought to treat people the way we want to be treated. And I know that's really simple, and it's not, I mean, it's a, it's a Christian principle. It's something that Jesus taught. But it's also something that's just popular in human culture to think about. It would be a good idea if everybody treated people the way they wanted to be treated. Something I've learned about biblical principles, biblical concepts, is that they're not just nice Christian ideas, but they actually make life more valuable. They make life make sense, is what I like to say. They give a certain amount of sanity to life in a world that's kind of crazy. And you know, one of the things that I, that I learned and kind of saw happen through this, this pandemic thing is that people, because of the isolation, people became very kind of self-focused, kind of internalized things, kind of become isolated. I mean, we talked about that, right? To self-isolate and to stay away from people. And I think part of that is I would see people, you know, and, and I, I would see people in the store and we're wearing masks and it's like they don't even want to look at you. They don't want to interact with you because they're afraid of you. They're afraid of what you might have. I had, you know, someone tell me treat everybody you see as if they have the virus you know and you know what I refused to live that way I want to live as if everybody I see is a child a person created by God who deserves to be treated with respect and if I'm afraid of you and I'm concerned about what you're going to do to me I'm probably not going to treat you with respect a basic principle treat others the way you want to be treated sometimes call that the golden rule right but the platinum rule is to treat others the way Jesus treats you and how is that? That's with respect, with grace, with compassion, with forgiveness. And so those are some kind of the basic, I would say basic principles, right? Another basic principle of life is what found right here in Psalm 100 verse 4. And it says this, enter with the password. Thank you. Make yourselves at home talking praise. Thank him. Worship him. So this idea of being thankful to God, it's just like a basic principle. You know what? It's impossible to be thankful and to be, what should we say, um, critical at the same time? Because thankfulness cancels out being critical, being harsh with things in our lives or with people. So this idea of living thankful, it's a principle. But really if we break it down, I'm going to do this very quickly, but if we break it down, there are three things that are really the, the basic principles of the Christian faith and also the basic principles of what it means to live on this planet as someone who can have a positive impact on the lives of others. And it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. It's a very simple passage. It says this, Now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, and the greatest of these is love. So again, we might say that these are kind of the basic principles for life, faith, hope, and love. And whoever we are, wherever we're at in our walk with God, wherever we're at in our relationship with Christ, wherever we're at in our thinking about what the church is or what Christianity is or what faith is, no matter where we're at, every one of us need faith, hope, and love. 
Um, and I'll define those. I'll talk through those just a little bit. So let's talk about faith, first of all. Now, some people might think that me riding my bicycle down those steps was an act of faith. Let's get something straight. There's a difference between faith and stupidity. Me riding my bicycle down the steps was stupid. Yes, I put faith in my bicycle. Poorly placed faith. My bicycle was not in the condition that it should have been trusted the way I trusted it, nor was my brain. I, I should not have trusted myself to think this is a great idea. I saw this one time when you're down south, down the deep south. If somebody says, hold this and watch this, stand back because this is not going to go well, right? And so I, I realized that when I, when I thought that this, should, this is going to be a great idea, I was not operating in faith, folks. I was operating in stupidity, and there is a difference. Sometimes we have to understand what that difference is. Faith is simply believing and trusting in God. Sometimes we get a little presumptuous of things. We, be, we become um, people who just think, well, I can just do anything and God will protect me. Well, I'm not going to step out in front of a semi and think God's going to protect me. I'm not going to ride my bicycle down the steps anymore and think that's going to go well. Faith doesn't take unnecessary risks. But here's what Proverbs chapter 3, one of the most common, famous, most popular verses about this says. It says, trust in the Lord from the bottom of your heart, or in this text, with all of your heart, and do not lean, and not on your own lean not on your own understanding, excuse me, in all your ways submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. In the, in the Message Bible, it says it this way. Just read this first part of it. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure everything out on your own. And, and this, is the, this is the kind of faith that we need to have. This is the kind of trust that we need to have, that I can't figure everything out on my own. There are times I just have to trust God. We don't know what's coming. Nobody in 2019 saw 2020 coming. We, don't, we never know what's coming. We can't figure life out in our own thinking because it's constantly changing. But we can trust that God not only knows what's coming, but he knows how to get us through what's coming as well. And then in the Message Bible, it goes on, it says this, listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one that will keep you on track. And so when it talks about listening for God's voice, I think it's just talking about finding God in the common elements of life, finding faith in the common day-to-day -day activities that we go through, realizing that in every moment of our life, it's God that gives us breath, that God is God that gives us life. He started this whole life thing, and he continues to give us life. He continues to give us breath. It's all His. And in every moment of our lives, God is there, and He wants to teach us things. He wants us to learn. Not necessarily, it's not necessarily talking about an audible voice that we would hear like you're hearing my voice, but a guiding, a leading. I remember hearing that inner, inner leading so many years ago. I was at a, I was at a meeting down in Kansas City in a, in a church service. And I saw this individual that I didn't know, and I just felt an overwhelming compassion for this individual. And I was just kind of thinking, I don't even know this person. Why do I feel this compassion? Why am I praying for them and feeling such a, a brokenness for them? And I just felt this, this impression down deep inside of my heart that said, um, this, is, this is a pastor's heart. And it was in that moment that I began to realize that I was called to pastor people because you, you have to have compassion. It's easy to be critical, but you have to have compassion and understanding to be a pastor. And so that, that began to happen to me. It wasn't, a, it wasn't like I heard a voice. I just knew something inside. This is what I'm doing. I'm dropping this inside of you and giving you this direction. Proverbs chapter 3, the next verses 7 through 8 says this. Let's just move on to these. It says, 
uh, don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. It's kind of interesting how the, the writer of Proverbs here makes a connection between us fearing God, shunning evil, and having health and nourishment in our bones. And what he's really just doing, I think, is saying this element of faith, this element of trust, gives us a sense of peace that causes our body to be at ease, to be at peace. You know, when we get worked up about things, when we stress over things, our, our heart rate can go up, our blood pressure can go up, our body reacts to stress. And I think what he's saying is if we trust God, we can let go of all the stress. We're not trying to figure it all out in our own understanding. We let go of that, and we trust God with everything that's going on in our lives. And it brings a peace not only to our minds, but also has an effect on our body. So trusting God means realizing we don't automatically have all the answers, but He does. We don't have to figure it out. Life is far too valuable to leave it entirely up to me to decide what my life is about. And that's, I think, part of that faith. In fact, Hebrews 12 says this, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. And I'm just going to take that one part of that. I apologize uh, for all of this being up here. This is my bad. Um, is that all of that verse? Uh, that's okay. You can take that off. I just wanted to use that one part. Looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. I, I couldn't find it in there. Maybe it's in there somewhere. Oh, yeah, there it is. Who initiates and perfects our faith. The champion who initiates and perfects our faith. So Jesus is the one who gives us faith. Even, you know, we, we sometimes think about this, um, how, how faith works. You know, what, is, what exactly is faith? Let me give you a simple illustration. When you came into this room, you walked over to the area where you're now seated, and you sat down in a chair, correct? Did any of you test that chair first, kind of shake it around a little bit, see if it was stable enough to hold you before you sat down in it, or did you just sit? How many of you just sat? Just sat down. Didn't think about it. Let me ask you, what do you think would happen if you sat down in that chair and it broke, it broke underneath you and you landed on the ground, and you sat in another one and it did the same, and then you sat in another chair and it did the same? What would you start thinking? You'd probably start thinking, I need to lose weight or something's wrong here. I don't trust chairs anymore, right? Because what you did when you walked in here and sat down is you put your trust in that chair. You put faith in that chair that it would hold you up. Now, that's a really simple thing, but we don't realize this. We put faith in things all the time. Every day, you activate faith. You sit down in your car and turn the key. What are you doing? You're exercising faith that all the components are going to work properly. Your car is going to start. You're going to put it in gear, and you're going to drive away. You're putting faith in that, in that vehicle to work. When something goes wrong and you turn the key and nothing happens, you realize that something is broken, right? Because you've put your faith in that process. Faith is great, and we need faith in this life. And we all put our faith in something. We either put our faith in a philosophy. I know people who have put their faith in a political platform or a political party. This is akin to riding your bicycle down the steps. I know people who have put their faith in an organization like AA or NA. These are great organizations. Um, we put their faith in the news network, in our own wisdom, whatever it is, anything we put our faith in, and Pastor Taylor alluded to it a little bit ago, that anything we put our faith in will at some point let us down. At some point it will collapse. At some point it won't function the way we think it should or the way we've always seen it function. 
with one exception, and that is our faith in God. God is constant. He's stable. He may not always do things the way that we think He should do it, but that's kind of the point, isn't it? Beyond our own understanding, beyond our own wisdom, not trusting what, that we know what's best, but trusting that God knows what's best. When we place that faith in God, we find rest and peace. Let me get to the second one, faith, hope, and love. The second one is hope. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18, it says this, so God has given us both His promise and His oath. These two things are unchangeable because it's impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to Him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. Fantastic. Great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This word hope here is not the kind of wishful thinking where you go out and buy a lottery ticket and hope you win a million dollars. This kind of hope is a confident expectation that what we've trusted in and what we've believed in will see us through. It's a confident expectation that God is big enough in every situation in our life. This hope, this confident expectation in God, no matter what things look like, no matter how things are going, hope goes beyond our life and reaches into, Scripture says, into what we can't see, to the, to the person behind the veil, to the champion who's already conquered, and it lets us hold on to God no matter what. We serve a God who promised that He would never leave us and He would never forsake us. That's the kind of God we serve. We don't serve a God who wants to take things away from us. We don't serve a God who wants to punish us. We serve a God who loves us and has promised to never leave us, never forsake us, and to be with us in every situation in life. That's the hope that we have. Our faith in God creates a hope that no matter what we go through or no matter what happens in this life, that God's with us and He takes us through every, every challenge, every struggle, and everything in our lives. And then finally, the, the, these three things, faith, hope, and love. So we all have faith. We all put faith in something. We all have hope. We all have hope, a confident expectation in something. But when those things are placed in God, it gives us a hope that cannot be disappointed. Matthew chapter 22 in the Message Bible says this. Let me just read it from the NIV. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul. I missed some of that. With all your soul and all your mind. Thank you. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Isn't that incredible? They asked Jesus, so what's the greatest commandment? And you know, there are 10 commandments, right? And there are 613 laws in the book of Leviticus that were tacked onto the 10 commandments to help people be able to more uh, successfully live those commandments and actually to provide sacrifices when they blow it because God knew we were going to mess up. Humans could not follow Ten Commandments perfectly. If they couldn't follow Ten Commandments, they're certainly not going to follow 613 laws perfectly. We live in a new covenant. That's, a, that's great. That's great news. They had hoped that their little question would trip him. 
Because technically, the answer should have been there isn't one commandment that's greater than any of the others. They're all equally the same. Or he could have begun to break down how, the, how, how these commandments were written in the Tanakh, how they were written in the Torah, what they really meant, and how they were to be lived out on a daily basis. He could have gone into a great explanation of that. But really, there was no correct answer for Jesus to give as far as one of the Ten Commandments or the 613. And so he sidesteps all of that, and he summarizes everything. And in the Message Bible, it says, these two are like hooks that all of the law and all the prophets hang on. In other words, everything that the Old Testament wrote about, everything that the Old Testament talked about was about love. It was really about love. It was about loving God and loving our neighbors as ourselves. Everything hung on those. If you think about the Ten Commandments, just really briefly, we won't go through them in any detail, but if you think about the Ten Commandments, the first four of them have no other God before me, don't have any carved images, don't take the Lord's name in vain, and keep the Sabbath holy. These four are all about how man interacts with God, right? Um, don't have any other gods, don't have any carved images of gods, don't take the Lord's name in vain, and keep the Sabbath day holy. This is all about how man relates to God. The next six, honor your mother and father, don't commit murder, don't commit adultery, don't take stuff that isn't yours, don't lie, don't desire your neighbor's stuff. This is all about how humans interact with other humans. So the Ten Commandments are really about two things how humans interact with God, and how humans interact with one another. You know why God said do not commit murder? Simple, because he loves you too much to want you to be murdered. You know why God says don't lie to people? Because it's not fun to be lied to. How many of you have ever been lied to? How does that feel? It's just not the best, is it? I've worked with people who've had issues lying, and in case you have any trouble as a, as a liar, you know, if you just find yourself sometimes habitually lying, here's a great way to stop lying. The next time you're telling a lie, stop right in the middle of the sentence and say, wait a minute, I'm lying to you right now. And then just start over and tell them the truth. I'll tell you what, if you do that a few times, you'll be so embarrassed to stop and say I'm lying that you'll actually quit lying. But this whole thing in these commandments is about loving God worshiping God and loving one another and treating one another with respect. And so we have these three things, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Why is it the greatest? Because everything else hangs on that. Hope hangs on love. Faith hangs on love. Everything that we have in life hangs on this idea that God loves us and He's allowed us this privilege of loving Him and loving others. It fulfills everything. And love is not a complicated thing. It's simply the act of looking outward rather than inward. Love is an act. It's an active word. Love is not a passive word. It's not just something, you know, God didn't just stand in heaven and say, I love you, world. What did he do? According to John 3, 16, is that God so loved the world that he sent his son. He gave his son. God so loved that he gave. God so loved that he did something about it. He could have just stood in heaven and said, I love you. But we wouldn't understand salvation. We wouldn't understand what it means to have our sins forgiven, to be forgiven, to be made whole, to be made new, because that's what Jesus came to do. And a word from heaven probably couldn't have done that. But by God, instead of saying, I love you, sending his son as an act of that love has made a difference in our lives. 
You know what? I can tell you I love you, but love is an action. Love is active. And so the greatest of these, faith, hope, and love, these are principles that we live by. These are things that are part of the core of, we might say, the principles of life. Just like we should ride bicycles properly, we should live our lives properly. And we do that by living in faith, hope, and love. So I want to take a moment to pray for you, if I could. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this congregation here at Infuse. I thank you for the hearts and the lives of the people that are here today. I thank you for the mission that you've given this body. I thank you, Lord God, for the faith that I see expressed here, showing up every Sunday, setting up this equipment, doing what we do, having faith, having hope, having a confident expectation that people will come, that hearts will be changed, that lives will be changed, that people will tune in online, will watch what's happening here, will begin to understand that there's a God who loves them and wants their lives to be free. We thank you for the faith, the hope that we see here. We thank you for the love that we see expressed here. And we ask God that you would help our lives, each one of us, to grow in faith, hope, and love. In Jesus' name, amen.